I hope that you will turn with me in a Bible to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. And we will be looking together at verses 1 to 10. Hebrews 5, verses 1 to 10. And in this section of the letter, the writer is demonstrating that Jesus is a great high priest. And more specifically, he's comparing the priesthood of Jesus to the Old Testament priesthood in the line of Aaron, the brother of Moses. Moses, the great leader of Israel, had a brother named Aaron, and God appointed Aaron and his descendants to be priests among his people, Israel. And so the writer here is comparing the priesthood of Jesus to the priesthood of Aaron and his descendants. And he's showing that the priesthood of Jesus is superior, far superior to any order of priesthood that has gone before. Now, I say all those things, and immediately someone thinks, what does that have to do with my life? I'm not particularly interested in the Old Testament priesthood to begin with. And I'm certainly not that interested in the credentials of the priesthood, which is what we find in these verses. What does it mean to be a priest? What are the qualifications and credentials for a priest? I don't care about a priesthood, and I'm not really that interested in his credentials. So what does that have to do with me and with my life? Well, the issue of credentials hits a lot closer to home than we may realize. And I hope to show you that the issue of credentials and qualifications is bound up with the issue of trust. Who are we going to trust? And on what basis are we going to trust them? So, for example, if you're looking to hire a general contractor to do work on your home, what's the first thing you want to know about them? Are they licensed? Are they credentialed? And you're not going to hire them to do the job until you are assured that they are fully credentialed to do the job. You have a need, remodeling or fixing something, and you need to know who you can trust to meet the need. You go to see a doctor, you're sick. What do you want to know about the doctor? Is he or she credentialed? Have they been licensed by the medical board? And in addition to that, we want to know how experienced are they, maybe where they went to school, how many times have they performed a given procedure? Same thing when you go to the pharmacy. Do they have a license to prescribe medicine to meet the need? And if they do not, we're not going to trust them to prescribe medicine for us, are we? If you have need to see a counselor, a therapist. You're not going to open up to that person unless you trust them 
Are they licensed? Do they have experience? Do they know what you're going through? Can they sympathize? Are they compassionate? Can they listen well? Those are the things that we want to know. Credentials and trust go hand in hand. To trust someone, we want to know what their credentials are, right? So credentials and the issues surrounding credentials are very close to home. But what about the priesthood? Why should we care about the priesthood? After all, isn't this from a bygone era and we don't have these kinds of priests anymore and we certainly aren't offering animal sacrifices as they did. So why should we care about priests and a priesthood? The fundamental issue to understand about the priesthood is that we all have a priest, so to speak. Here's what I mean. We all want to know what the ultimate realities of life are. What is it really about? And these issues really come to the fore around death. Do we have any prospect of life after death? And on what basis can we believe that? How do we trust that? Do we just go on the basis of wishful thinking, or do we have an authority that speaks to that issue? Are they credentialed? How do we access God, or the transcendent, or ultimate reality, whatever you want to call it? How do we access that? How do we know? And the biblical priesthood is established for one chief reason. And that is, the Bible shows clearly that the God who created all things and who sustains all things is a holy God. He is light. In him there is no darkness at all. That's truth number one. Truth number two is that we are sinners. We are not holy. And because we are sinners, we have no grounds for having a relationship with him, at least not a harmonious relationship. Because God is holy, he hates sin, and it is good and right for him to hate sin. It is offensive. It is displeasing. It brings his condemnation and judgment. So how can we talk to this God? How can we be in his presence? Do we have any hope of having a reconciled relationship with this God? Enter the priesthood. Enter the priesthood. These are men appointed by God to intercede between a holy God and sinful people. And what we're looking at here in Hebrews 5 are the credentials for these priests. And the question that is swirling in the minds of the original audience have to do with, is Jesus really a priest? Is Jesus credentialed? And while this may seem like an irrelevant issue for your life, this is actually the most relevant issue for your life, the most pressing matter that any of us can ever face. And that is, can you trust Jesus? Now, many of us will say, oh, I, yeah, I mean, I've trusted Jesus my whole life. I've always been told Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. 
Can we be more specific? Do your, does your heart really believe that he's fully credentialed to be your great high priest? And it's only when you are convinced of his credentials that you will trust him and obey him as you should. You may think you have more pressing issues. You may think you have bigger fish to fry in your life. You may think there are bigger burdens. There are not. This is it. On what basis can you have reconciliation and peace with a holy God through Jesus? How is this possible? Let's read together these verses and see how the issues of credentials and the priesthood converge in the issue of what Jesus came to do. Hebrews 5, verse 1. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So here's the first question. What are the credentials? What are the qualifications for a high priest in the order of Aaron? What do the people have a right to expect from the high priest? Four things. Number one, he must be one of us. He must be one of us. Every high priest is selected from among the people, from among men, and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God. This may seem obvious, but it's essential. An angel cannot represent us to God. An animal or any other creature cannot represent us to God. A deceased saint cannot represent us to God. Priests are chosen among the living to represent the living before God. 
He must be one of us or he cannot fulfill the role of priest. He is not credentialed. Nothing is credentialed unless they're one of us. So if we look to anything else as our priest, so to speak, as our access point to God, except a priest chosen among the people, from the people, then we will not have access to God. It's that simple. He must be one of us. Number two, he must represent us before God. He's chosen among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Remember, again, why the priesthood is necessary. God is holy. We are sinners. To bridge that gap, a sacrifice must be offered. A priest cannot come empty-handed. He must bring something to satisfy the wrath of God against human sinfulness. To bring about peace and reconciliation. To make God the Father inclined to forgive us, a sacrifice, a gift must be offered. And the priest is the one who represents this. He's one of us, and he is appointed to represent us before a holy God. That is his charge. That is his task. That is what he is to do. If he comes empty-handed, if he comes offering anything else but what God has appointed, he is not credentialed. And we do not have access to God. Number three, he must be able to sympathize with us. He must be able to sympathize with us. He must be one of us, he must represent us, and he must be able to sympathize with us. Look at verse two. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray to deal gently with the wayward, with those who are sinning out of ignorance. They're sinning and they don't even know it. For those who are deliberately going astray, for both, he can deal gently. Why? Since he himself is subject to weakness. He knows what it means to be tempted he knows what it means to be subject to the flesh, to get sick, to be worried, to be fearful. He knows, and therefore he can have pity and compassion on the wayward and the ignorant, on sinners. And the priesthood of Aaron he also has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. On the Day of Atonement, one day of the year when the high priest enters into the most sacred place of the temple, where the Ark of the Covenant is kept, he is to offer a bull for his own sins and for the sins of his people. He is a sinner like the rest of the people. He's one of them. Yes, he's appointed for a special task for them, but he's still one of them. And every priest in the line of Aaron is a sinner. That is critical to understand. 
And this means he can sympathize. He knows. He knows. As the advertising slogan is going around now, he gets us. He gets us because he's been there. He can sympathize. He can deal gently with compassion. He doesn't look down and scold. How could you make that mistake? You could do better than that, really? Shame on you. Tisk tisk. Shaking his head. No, he knows. I've been there. I've done that. I know. I know what it means to be in the flesh. Number four, he must be chosen for us. He must be chosen for us. That is, by God. Verse four, and no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. He doesn't assume this role. He doesn't seek the glory of this role for himself. He must be appointed. God must make him priest. Why? For this reason. God doesn't owe anyone forgiveness. God doesn't owe anyone reconciliation. These are the means that God has appointed. And there are no other means. God says this is the means to have forgiveness and peace and reconciliation with me. If you try to go around this way, if you try to bypass this, if you try to go over this, you'll never get to me. A high priest must be chosen for us. We don't choose him. We don't choose him. He is chosen on our behalf for us. And we have a striking example of just how serious this business is. In 2 Chronicles chapter 26, we're told about a king named Uzziah. Uzziah. Maybe you've never heard of him, but here's what you need to understand. He was a highly successful king. He was prosperous. He accumulated great wealth for himself. His reign brought good days for his people. But in 2 Chronicles 26, verse 16, we read, But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Azariah the priest with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord followed him in. They confronted King Uzziah and said, It is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful, and you will not be honored by the Lord God. Stop! This isn't your job. God has given you a different job. You're the king. This is for the priests. Leave now while there's still time. That's what they're telling him. Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand ready to burn incense, became angry. While he was raging at the priest in the presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. When Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw that he had leprosy on his forehead, so they hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous, and banned from the temple of the Lord. This is deadly serious business. Don't try to go about 
accessing God using your own means. Don't think that you can do better than what God has said or what God has provided. Don't think that you're smarter than God and his word. It only leads to your downfall. Because any, any such attempt to bypass what God has said and the means he has prescribed to make your own priest, to appoint your own priest, to maybe be your own priest, it's sheer pride and arrogance. And it will lead to death. So those are the four characteristics of the priesthood. The four credentials of a high priest. He must be one of us. He must represent us. He must be able to sympathize with us. And he must be chosen for us. And we see each of these four credentials illustrated in the high priest's clothing. What they wear. And this is described in detail in Exodus chapter 28. One of those articles of clothing is the ephod. The ephod. It's a kind of sleeveless shirt that the priest would put on. And on each shoulder were stones. And engraved on those stones were the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Six on one shoulder, six on the other. So that the priest was constantly reminded that he is shouldering the people. He's one of them and he shoulders the burdens of the people when he goes before God. The priest was also to wear a breastplate piece with 12 stones on it, each stone representing a tribe of Israel, to remind him that he had the people on his heart, literally. Every beat of his heart while he has that breastplate on, reminds him, you are representing the people. You are not your own. You have been called to a specific purpose by God. Then, he has a robe. And at the bottom of the robe are bells jingling. Can you hear the jingles? So that every move he makes, every time he lifts his hands, Every time he sprinkles blood on the altar, every step is deliberate and intentional. He can't do this in secret. He can't do this quietly. People can hear the bells, and he can hear the bells. Is he aware of what he is doing? The sober, reverent, high calling. And then on his head, is a turban. And on the turban is a plate. And on the plate was inscribed, Holy to the Lord. Holy to the Lord. As a continual reminder to himself every time he puts that on, every time the people see him, he is set apart for a specific task. This is no ordinary business. We're talking about the people's dealings with God. The most urgent, the most pressing matter of life. Holy to the Lord. This is sacred. This is different. This is other. This is transcendent. Be careful. Be careful. 
This is deadly serious business. So those are the credentials of the high priest, all illustrated in his clothing. Now we have to ask this question. Is Jesus credentialed to be a high priest? And for many, they would say, no. Why? He's not descended from Aaron. He's not even in the right family. He's from the tribe of Judah. He's from the royal line. How can you claim that he is a priest? How can you say he's a great high priest? He's not even a lowly priest, let alone a great high priest. And the answer is that Jesus is impeccably credentialed. Jesus is impeccably credentialed. He's so credentialed that he's of a higher order of priesthood. He's of a priesthood that has now abrogated and ended the need for priests in the line of Aaron. You have no need for anyone to be called a priest in your midst. We have one great high priest, and he is sufficient, and he is impeccably and perfectly credentialed and qualified to meet your greatest need and my greatest need, which is to be reconciled to a holy God. That's what we need. That is the most pressing matter. Whatever else you're facing in your life, that can wait. This is what matters above all. Do you have peace with God through Jesus Christ? And are you sure? Are you sure? To be sure, we need to know just how impeccably credentialed Jesus is. Look at verse 5. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Citing Psalm 2. And as he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, citing Psalm 110. Is he chosen for us? You bet he's chosen for us. God spoke directly, this is my son. And yes, he is a king. Yes, he perfectly fulfills the role of king for his people. But at the same time, he is a priest for his people. And this is the significance of the mention of Melchizedek. We'll talk a lot more about him later in this letter. But for now, you need to know that this was a priest king we read about in Genesis 14, whom Abraham had dealings with. And Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek. He's of a higher order. He's a priest king and a kingly priest so that he can do for his people what no other priest could ever do. And he received this appointment from his father. You are my son. You have a unique mission, a unique role. No one else can fulfill this. Only you. He's chosen for us. We didn't choose him. The father chose him and sent him. Is he one of us? You bet he's one of us. 
son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Verse 8. He's one of us. We're told this also in Hebrews 2, verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. He's one of us, and yet he's more of us. Jesus, fully human, possessing a human nature just like ours, and yet also possessing a divine nature, being the very Son of God, very God of very God, possessing all the divine attributes, all in one person. One person. He's one of us. He came into this world like us. But you say, but he didn't commit a sin. So can he sympathize for us? And we're told that he didn't sin. In Hebrews 4, verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, yet, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So how can Jesus possibly sympathize with me? Has he really faced what I've faced? I mean, he's never held a smartphone. How does he know the temptations that I'm facing or that you're facing? Look at verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Have you ever prayed in a loud voice? Typically, when we pray, it's in a soft voice, with reverence. And that's good and right. But Jesus prayed in a loud voice, and we can too when we pray in his name. Because the depth of our sorrows is so deep in this world there's no other way to express it but to cry out and Jesus knows the depth of that sorrow he was always a man of sorrows he was continually seeking the will of his father and doing the will of his father with prayers and petitions he was a man of prayer throughout his life but all of those attributes come to a head when he was facing the greatest test of his life on earth, when he was in a garden called Gethsemane. We read of this, for example, in Mark 14. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Why is he so sorrowful? Why is he so distressed, even to the point of death? Because here's what Jesus sees. Peter, James, John, the other disciples, they don't see this. Jesus 
looked squarely into the horror of what it meant for him to absorb in his body the punishment for every wicked deed ever committed by people, for every vile word ever uttered by people. He looked squarely into the horror of that. Into how much of an abomination it is in the eyes of a holy God. And not only that, that's horrible enough, he saw that he would be drinking the cup of God's wrath against that sin down to the very dregs. And he says, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me, please, Father, with loud cries, shedding tears. Have you ever prayed that way? You think Jesus doesn't know about your sorrow? Do you think there's a burden you're carrying that Jesus can't sympathize with? Oh no, we have a great high priest. He's been there, he knows, he understands, and yet he was able to pray, yet not my will be done, Father, but yours. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. It's important to understand here, it's not that Jesus moved from disobedience to obedience. He moved from the absence of experience with the trials of living in the flesh to full and perfect experience of living in the flesh. And he was triumphant. He was faithful. He was obedient where we have been unfaithful and disobedient. He succeeded where we have failed. And now, son that he is, he offers obedience. His righteousness in place of our filthy rags, our our failed attempts to try to achieve righteousness, our failed attempts to try to gain access to God by any other means. He can sympathize. He can sympathize. He knows. He knows. He's one of us. He's chosen for us by the Father, sent by the Father. He can sympathize with us. There's no temptation, there's no trial, there's no burden that you're feeling that he cannot sympathize with. And now he can represent us. He can represent us. And how does he represent? What does he bring? Remember, no priest can come empty-handed. What does he bring? He brings his obedience. Father, these people have been disobedient. They have profaned your name. They have rebelled against you. They have spurned your love. Receive my obedience in their place. Receive my life, my sacrifice in their place. Let me intercede for them. Let me represent them. And God hears and he answers. And Jesus was delivered from the clutches of death. Yes, he endured this death. He drank this cup of God's wrath against my sins and your sins. But he delivered him. And he placed him at his right hand, the position of honor, so that from that position he can now offer you help, mercy, grace. What more do we need? Have you received this? Is he your great high priest? 
So it brings us to this point. Are you feeling guilty? Are you feeling ashamed? Are you feeling weak and wounded? Are you feeling sick and sore, poor and needy? Then all we have to do is obey him. He is the source of eternal life for who? All who obey him. All who obey him. Two things to understand about that. Number one, all means all. That means everyone. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you haven't done. If you obey him, he is the source of eternal salvation. Not just temporary salvation, not just deliverance from this trial or that burden, but eternal salvation forever. But all also means only. Only those who obey him will receive this salvation. Is that you? Is that me? Can you confess your need for this salvation? Do you realize you're desperate, you're hopeless, you're lost, you're condemned? There's no other way to access God. There's no other way to have peace with God. This is it. So will you obey him? Well, you ask, well, what does he command? Hear his words. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Come to me, that's his command. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He learned obedience. Learn from him. You want to do God's will? Learn from him. Does he say this in a condescending way? No, he says, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, he says. He says, I stand ready to save you. I'm full of compassion, love, and power. It's not just something I want to do. It's something I can do, he says. Come to me. Are you burdened? Are you weary? Are you feeling ashamed and guilty? Look no further. Come to him and you can do it right where you are. Say, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Speak for your servant is listening. Here I am. Jesus, I have no high priest apart from you. I have no peace with God apart from you. I need you. And you can be assured of his sympathy. You can be assured of his compassion. You can be assured of his love, of his mercy, of his grace. And you can leave this place rejoicing because of who he is and because of what he's done for you. For you. Is he your great high priest today? Do you believe that he is impeccably credentialed or not? God's word says he is, so will you trust him? Will you trust him to have access to your life? Will you trust him with this decision? Will you trust him with this burden? Will you trust him with this relationship? Will you trust him? Do you see he is worthy of our trust? Just obey him. 
Let him lead. And he will save you. And he will lead you. And he will bring you to eternal life and glory. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that in Jesus we have a great high priest. And I pray for any burdened soul today, anyone who is weary by the trials and the tribulations of life in this world, for any soul that is weighed down by the guilt and the shame of sin. Lord, may this be the day of salvation, the day to be freed, the day to know we can be your redeemed sons and daughters, adopted into the family of your son Jesus. Lord, may we look no further. May we come to Christ. May we lift up our hearts with boldness, with confidence that you hear and that you are ready to forgive, to pardon, to cleanse within. Lord, may we come. May we not put it off. May we not come up with another excuse. May this be the day of salvation as you work in us and through us by the power of your Holy Spirit, all for your glory and honor. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.